Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Turkey more than doubles its main interest rate. President Obama raises the minimum wage for federal workers in the United States. And Alibaba swings to a nearly $800 million profit in the previous quarter. First, this little tease of what's to come. Hong Kong has played such a significant role. Hong Kong has, is fully, almost fully exposed to China's credit risk. That's Kevin Lai from Daiwa Capital Markets, and we'll be speaking with him a little bit later in this program. Uh, he's very concerned about the exposure that Hong Kong banks have to what he thinks is a massive credit bubble in China. So more from that in just a moment, and also this. The United States and Chinese interrelationship is, is so valid to solving problems, not just in China in America, but worldwide. Okay, so that's Max Baucus, the incoming ambassador to China by the United States or from the United States. And that sounded like uh, he was uh, fairly relaxed about the relationship. But he goes on to say uh, that he thinks China looks at things too much from its own point of view. So we'll be discussing that a little bit later in the program. Uh, Our guest on the program this morning, I mentioned uh, Kevin Lai, the China economist at Daiwa Capital Markets. Also, David Gaud from Edmund Rothschild Asset Management and Rohit Dugar, founder of Young Master Ales, a new craft brewery in Hong Kong. So those uh, guests coming up in a moment. Markets are rather buoyant this morning. We saw a real turn yesterday. And of course, the move by Turkey overnight also helped. Uh, with the Nikkei is up 206 points, 15,186. In Australia, the main index there, the ASX 200, is up 20 points, 52.8. So that's a gain of about four-tenths of a percent. And in Seoul, the Kospi has moved up a half a, half a percent, eight points higher at 1925. We saw a real turn yesterday in most markets in Asia where uh, the severe losses we saw from uh, the day before and from late last week uh, ebbed and we saw a little bit more uh, of a relaxed nature to trading. And so if we look at the dollar yen, it's now 103.27. So that's the dollar stronger against the yen. That helps power up the Nikkei. The euro 1.3654 US dollars. The pound now 12 Hong Kong dollars and 86 cents. Gold slipped back a little bit, $1,252.60 a troy ounce. Well, a busy morning. Uh, President Obama will be signing an executive order raising the minimum wage for U.S. federal workers. The wage will go to at least $10.10 an hour. Uh, Mr. Obama's aide, Valerie Jarrett, says the president will use his own power to enact something that he wants but hasn't been able to get through the Congress. She was asked how many workers it will touch. Well, it'll it'll touch maybe a couple hundred thousand, but I think what the president is doing is leading by example. Uh, In last year's State of the Union, he called on Congress to raise the minimum wage. He supports the the Harkin-Miller bill that would not only raise the minimum wage uh, to $10.10, but it also would provide for uh, cost of living increases periodically so that it could keep up. Uh, There are too many people around our country who are still struggling to get by and raising their children in poverty because the minimum wage is only $7.25. So So he announced that he's going to do what he can within his power to raise it for those who work in the federal government. Ms. Jarrett says the president simply can't wait for the Congress to act. What the president is now unwilling to do is simply wait for Congress to act and work with them. He will continue to do that, but he's also going to take action on his own. He's going to sign executive orders. As he said, he's going to use the pen. He's also going to use the telephone and bring people in uh, to Washington who want to make progress and create jobs and grow Mm -hmm. our economy and provide opportunities to those hardworking Americans who just want to succeed. 
Valerie Jarrett, the president, say the order will be highlighted in the president's State of the Union address later this morning, our time. Well, in some other news, uh, and I'll get through these kind of quickly, Turkey's central bank raised all its main interest rates at an emergency meeting. It resisted political pressure in doing so and reversed years of policy. That after the lira had slid to a record low. The bank in Ankara raised the benchmark one-week repo rate to 10% from 4.5%. That's according to a statement on the website uh, overnight our time. It also raised the overnight lending rate to 12% from 75 Uh, The bank said that investors should now treat the repo rate as the main indicator. And basically what this move does is to shore up uh, the falling currency. The currency had really been slammed over the past week now with higher interest rates, hoping that it will stem uh, the downward movement in the Turkish lira. Meantime, U.S. stocks rose overnight with the S&P 500 index rebounding from its worst slump since June. Earnings at companies from Pfizer to D.R. Horton, also Ford, topped estimates. And consumer confidence increased ahead of a Fed meeting tonight. Pfizer, the world's biggest drug maker, advanced 2.6 percent after its earnings beat estimates. Meantime, an index of home builders surged 5.3 percent. And D.R. Horton, one of the uh, builders of homes, jumped almost 10 percent. There was also a report out that showed that home prices rose pretty sharply. In the end, the S&P 500 up not 0.6 percent at 1792. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 90 points to 15,928. Alibaba has swung to a quarterly profit ahead of its potential initial public offering. Net income attributable to ordinary shareholders was $792 million in the three months ending in September. And that was up from a loss of $246 million a year ago. This came from Yahoo's earnings. Yahoo owns a 24% stake in Alibaba, which is the largest e-commerce company in China. Revenue was up 51% to $1.78 billion. Now, the reason that these earnings from Alibaba are through September, uh, Yahoo, which uh, posted results for the three months ending in December, reports Alibaba's earnings with a one quarter lag. Well, in terms of looking at stocks, um, Gina Martin from Wells Fargo is one of the most bearish analysts on the street. She thinks that this year will be flat for the U.S. stock market. Earnings across the board have been really tough for companies to come by. We've had negative revision momentum on the index for nearly 18 straight months. It's just earnings management on a quarterly basis. All that is is the revision momentum is still lower. Company guidance continues to move lower. Analyst estimates continue to move lower. And so on an individual quarter, they beat. Right. But when it comes to looking forward over the next 12 months, it's continuous downward estimate revision. So negative on uh, movement this year, but she was also negative last year and missed out on a rather large rally. Let's say good morning now to David Gaud, Senior Fund Manager at Edmund Rothschild Asset Management. Good morning, David. Good morning. Sorry to make you wait there. A lot of interesting moves. Turkey overnight, uh, earnings coming in reasonably solid. Uh, Yahoo's getting hit after hours, but its earnings weren't uh, weren't too bad. Apple's earnings yesterday, I thought were okay. Uh, The stock was slammed 7% in this latest session, and even with that, uh, we saw pretty big gains in in the U.S. stock market and uh, also including uh, the Nasdaq. So what's your outlook at the moment? 
but that makes a lot to digest. And uh, clearly, you know, after months where the whole consensus was more or less frozen, uh, you know, expecting a strong rebound in the U.S. economy, uh, that the Fed would slowly taper. Uh, clearly, now that, you know, we had that kind of uh, uh, mini uh, mini uh, shakeup by Argentina, we got the situation in Turkey, then the, the whole consensus is now trying to, to work again and to set properly new assumptions. And so, as you mentioned, you know, all those news which are corporate-related, uh, central bank-related, uh, everybody is trying now to put, you know, a proper scenario for 2014. I, so, can, I can understand uh, how some analysts would, would be bearish because if you look at what happened over the past year, last year the Fed increased its balance sheet by a third and uh, stock prices were up 30% in the S&P 500. Earnings were only up 6%. So if you just do the math on those numbers, you look at, uh, you know, valuations had to go up a lot for stocks to go up 30%. It's basically because of the juice from the Fed. Now, of course, they would say they're buying time until the economy repairs itself. Uh, but now if that juice is being sucked out, whoo, it could be a very interesting year. Yeah, exactly. And this is where, you know, the Fed is basically telling the world, I've done my part. Mm. Now it's up to you guys to take over. And, you know, as you mentioned, talking about the earnings in the U.S., uh, in the U.S. universe. And clearly the next step, if we want to see some further momentum in earnings, will be to see an investment cycle out of the U.S. If we stay with the existing capacity as it is, uh, probably, yeah, we may end up the year with very limited growth uh, across the developed world. It will take actually more uh, capital investment during the year and some capacity increase to see basically that momentum carry on. But it will depend on the private, private entrepreneurs and investors. And one of the guests that we have coming up, it's a pre-recorded interview we did with Kevin Lai uh, at Daiwa Capital Markets. He's very, very nervous about uh, uh, the Fed and the taper and the impact that it might have on Hong Kong banks. Now, he gets at this by, and we'll hear the interview a little bit later, but he gets at this by saying that um, uh, there's a huge credit bubble in China and that this, um, you know, pullback in in Fed uh, uh, money printing uh, is going to have a big impact on even Hong Kong and particularly on our banks here. Um, do you share that view? Not really, because this is not exactly a black box, what's happening. We know exactly what's happening. If you're in Hong Kong, if you are an investor and you want to put your saving to work, clearly on the other side of the border, you've got products, which are those trust products, which are offering you 8 to 10% yield, plus the currency appreciation, which are extremely attractive. And this is probably what happened, is that a lot of money has been flowing into mainland China to be invested. Now, with, you know, the case of the China Credit Trust that happened a few days ago, and that was resolved, meaning that the principle is safe, but people are going to lose most of the interest. Slowly, China is going to be able, probably and hopefully, to reduce basically the attractiveness of those products. And so probably things should in time, it's going to take time, uh, get rebalanced, and we probably should see more less inflow out of Hong Kong into the, the mainland. But uh, no doubt that as long as those products exist, they're going to be extremely attractive. This was a very big story, uh, the settling of this particular problem with the China Credit Trust and ICBC. And it really did settle markets down here yesterday, although the Hang Seng Index didn't have great performance in the actual um, in the 
index itself. Uh, there were many, many stocks that did very well in Hong Kong, particularly the stocks that had been, um, you know, superstars last year. The China Internet plays, the mobile games, uh, the even the Macau uh, names. Some of them did quite well. Do you think that um, for the moment uh, it's smooth sailing here in Hong Kong? It should because the resolution of that case on the China uh, Credit Trust was actually relatively okay in the end. You know, there is an haircut, which, I mean, investors will have to take, but then the principle is safe. So, so far, you know, no one should be uh, feel too damaged by this, uh, by the case. But we know there are more coming. So, I mean, the market took it relatively okay this time. Let's see. And we know the amount, the total amount of this trust is extremely huge. So, uh, it will take another few cases to make the market relatively okay with this idea. So what's your best investment idea at the moment? Well, I mean, basically, we're still very much focused on equity. We think that in the low yield environment, and we will remain in the low return environment, uh, equity is still offering one of the best uh, case of investment right now. On top of that, the valuation remains more than ever uh, attractive, especially in the emerging world. But we would focus on the big countries. And in that case, we, within the emerging world, we like Asia and we like China and India in particular. Sorry, you said within the emerging world, you like the countries here in Asia? Yes, yeah. We are more focused on Asia than LATAM or uh, Eastern Europe at this stage. And within Asia, it would be China and India. Okay, I want to do an, uh, an interesting thing. And I want to play out this pre-recorded interview with Kevin Lyon. I hope you can stay with this for an extra five minutes. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll hear his comments and then we'll come back and chat a little bit about it. And we've got Rohit Dugar coming up a little bit later, founder of Young Master Ales. Can't wait to hear about uh, this relatively new startup and, and how it is out there and getting started in Hong Kong, particularly with craft brews which I love. Uh, so we'll get to that a little bit later on the program. The time now is 16 and a half minutes after 8 o'clock. And I'd like to go to an interview that uh, my colleague Chris Oliver did with Kevin Lai, China economist at Daiwa Capital Markets. And in this particular interview, started off by asking about uh, the impact uh, of the trust market, these trust products that uh, we've seen flare up here recently in uh, China and whether or not it was in the process of being resolved. No, I think uh, we may just be at, at the beginning of a uh, of a series of uh, credit tensions, credit stress, at least I think over the next uh, several months or quarters. I think it has to do um, with several things. First of all, uh, the credit conditions in China continue to deteriorate. Uh, the other thing is uh, the Fed continues to uh, keep the, its pressure up. So... Um, uh, the taping impact is uh, also affecting uh, liquidity going into China. And over the last five years, um, a lot of these uh, credit instruments, whether they are local government debts, whether they are trust vehicles or uh, shadow banking borrowers, they all rely on uh, money inflows, from, uh, especially from Hong Kong. So basically, uh, Hong Kong has play a significant role. Hong Kong has uh, attracted a lot of dollars uh, from the rest of the world and helped uh, distribute the dollar into China. And the dollar uh, inflows in China, into China has allowed tremendous money and credit expansion. Um, so that that has you know in that process uh, all these borrowers, trust borrowers, shadow banking borrowers have benefited from uh, uh, the money creation process. Earlier this week, we saw 
a bailout for the troubled China Investment Trust. Are you at all confident that markets are calming down in the wake of that announcement? Uh, I'm not too sure. I think uh, if you look at the whole uh, trust market, it's about 10 trillion yuan, I think at least 10 trillion yuan. So it could be just a small small tip of the iceberg. There could be more coming. Uh, I think the, uh, the uh, fundamentally, uh, these guys, they need financing, refinancing uh, uh, this year, a lot of refinancing this year. So they need, uh, they need to find uh, new money to, uh, to sustain the game. And what I can see now is new money is, 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 uh, is kind of uh, getting, getting uh, weaker. Uh, at least the money going into China is, uh, looks, looks to be uh, uh, slowing. And for listeners out there, is there a precedent that the type of troubled waters that we could be moving into that you're alluding to here, is this like the 2008 crisis or is it like 1997? Is there a, is there a precedent for what you see? No, unfortunately, no. Uh, we have never seen this before in our entire financial history. Uh, first of all, uh, the Fed has never been so aggressive in the in the past. Uh, the Fed has been coming in in such a way. Um, Fed's balance sheet has gone up by three trillion uh, U.S. dollar. So, and and at the same time, um, Asian central banks have also uh, followed more or less the same aggressive approach. So when, when, when the dollars uh, come, to our, come to our door, uh, Asian central banks have printed more or, less, uh, more or less the same amount of money, about $3 trillion over the last five years. So we're talking about a tremendous uh, policy misalignment with the Fed and also with uh, central, uh, Asian central banks which I think uh, the result is very clear. There is already a huge credit bubble everywhere, especially in China, which arguably this bubble is bigger than what we saw in 2008. It's much bigger than what we, what we had in 1997. So that is uh, Kevin Lai, China economist at Daiwa Capital Markets. He says that investors probably think that a lot of money inflows uh, into Asia will stay here uh, even when the Fed starts tapering. But he says if the inflows are fueled by leveraged money, a reversal is only a matter of time. So, okay, so I still have with me David God, senior fund manager at Edmund de Rothschild Asset Management, buy side guy. And sounds like no matter what he says, you're still in the mood for buying. Uh, the, the fact is that we, we're facing a major issue with this credit bubble in China. We know that there are sectors which are going to be under a lot of stress, heavy equipment, uh, coal sectors, some energy-related sectors, no doubt to that. But what we must also note is that China has been implementing measures to slowly basically digest that issue. Uh, the latest one was, you know, the appearance of those distressed uh, asset fund managers like Shinda Asset Management, which has been listed in Hong Kong and came to 
to raise some capital, uh, the one who actually came to buy over the assets of this China Credit Trust, which is Hualong. So we're seeing companies which are specialized in dealing with distressed assets and distressed credit coming up and being supported by uh, the central government. And they're going to have a, a heavy task, no doubt. They're going to have to clean up. They're going to have to select and sort out the assets. But clearly, China is implementing measures to help uh, solve this issue. Now, whether you believe or not they're going to succeed, it will do some damage. But look at the valuation of the current Chinese market. There's a lot of negative points which are already Yeah, they're very low reflected. value. There's yeah. no doubt about it. You could be right that it could be already discounted, uh, seeing single-digit uh, PEs and everything. Uh, and if you think about it, you know, 7% growth on an economy that's more than, than – uh, 10 trillion, uh, you know, gets you, gets you a nice little chunk of, um, of, of stimulus that could perhaps be balanced up against a trillion being sucked out by the Fed if, if it does, uh, if it does do so. So, um, and, and that's, that's actually just over the course of a whole year, we get say 10, 10 or 15 billion uh, per meeting. Um, however, you know, the Fed did push an awful lot of people out the risk curve. You know, with zero interest rates in the bank, everybody had to take on more risk. Now it's reversing the process. So if people de-risk, which is natural, they will de-risk in this environment, emerging markets bound to take a hit. Yeah, they will. And for the first six months during all that process, we've seen it. I mean, it's kind of a classic tale. I mean, we will see the emerging world forced to adjust and the countries will have different fate. But eventually, you know, the return of the, the risk taking is that it's no longer free. You, you can't have free lunch anymore. It's going to definitely force more the entrepreneurs to take more risk and be wiser in their investment. And that should be a positive in terms of how do you allocate your investments. Okay, David, thanks very much for joining thanks. us here on Money for Nothing. David God, Senior Fund Manager at Edmund de Rothschild Asset Management. This is Money for Nothing, 25 minutes now after 8. Well, with Beertopia coming up, a big festival for beers here in Hong Kong, we thought that we'd take a look at uh, a new brewery, a relatively new brewery here, Young Master Ales. It says it was born out of a desire to brew distinctive, world-class, extremely fresh beers locally for Hong Kong. And we have the founder, Rohit Dugar, in our studios with us. Rohit, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, great to have you on the program. Uh, uh, how is it going? How easy is it to actually get a brewery started in Hong Kong? Well, first of all, startups of any kind are hard. Uh, I mean, you have to do a lot with less. And if you're trying to do something new uh, in a new place, it's going to be an extra step harder. Um, I think in terms of, you know, just getting the brewery going, uh, the biggest challenge, I suppose, is real estate, finding a suitable site uh, for a small brewery. Um, and once you have that sorted out, uh, there's very limited expertise uh, that's available locally. So we kind of have to be a lot more creative in how we set uh, everything up, every little detail. Um, the underlying challenge really is that we are trying to, uh, you know, do something that's handmade and crafted. But at the same time, there's a lot of, uh, you know, industrial pieces and equipment that go into brewery. So getting it all together in a small space and making it work, um, you know, every day uh, there's a new problem to solve. Uh, but, you know, it's it's possible and doable. Uh, we just started. It's an exciting challenge. Yeah. Hong Kong is a small place. Is this your end market or are you eyeing China or where? I think at this point we are relatively small, so we are entirely focused on Hong Kong. Um, you know, we'll, uh, you know, hopefully things go well here, and then longer term, who knows, China could be market as well. 
As you look out the pathway to profitability, uh, how long is that road? Um, remains to be seen, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I think, um, you know, once uh, I, I do think the timing is right. There's a lot more awareness about craft beer. Uh, there was always end customer demand uh, and awareness. But now the gatekeepers, the bars and restaurants have had a bit of a change in attitude as well. So hopefully that should uh, help bring in profitability sooner rather than later. And where does Young Master come from? Um, the name, uh, the inspiration is from Old Hong Kong. Uh, there was a movie in Old Hong Kong, which I guess the loose translation is Young Boss of the Factory. Um, you know, it's about um, a playboy type character who's a, a wealthy person. But, uh, you know, towards the end of the movie, as the plot progresses, gets all serious and does the right thing. We liked the interplay between the playful and the serious and that it reminds us of old industrial Hong Kong. Um, you know, nobody makes things in Hong Kong anymore, and we are trying to do that. So at, you know, many levels, it just clicked for us. It made me think of you a little bit when uh, <laughs> I, I remembered that uh, the Eighth Estate Winery uh, doing a little interesting uh, winery in Hong Kong with uh, flying in frozen grapes is out there in Aplei Chow. Mm -hmm. And you're located in Aplei Chow as well. Uh, do you find that uh, you were able to manage uh, getting decent rent uh, and, and, a, and at least a couple of years uh, guaranteed rent? Uh, is, that, is that a place to be, Aplei Chow? Um, I think um, ultimately it worked out. I mean, every place had its pros and cons. Uh, and Aplei Chow, uh, I think the buildings are relatively newer, um, you know, and as far as rent goes, they've been going up even in industrial places. They are less reasonable than they were two years ago. We do have uh, something locked in for three years or so. So we'll see how things go. So you mentioned the challenges being uh, rents and, yeah. and location uh, mm -hmm. in a small place like Hong Kong and finding talent. Uh, mm -hmm. What are the other challenges? Um, what about sourcing the products you use? Yeah. So I think sourcing is actually, uh, I mean, it's not straightforward, but easier problem to solve. Uh, Hong Kong is a big port. You can get ingredients from literally anywhere in the world. So we get our grains from Germany, hops from U.S. and Australia and so on. They haven't been honestly that hard to find. And given that we're a free port, it's probably pretty easy doing business here. Absolutely, absolutely. From dealing with the government standpoint, it's actually been relatively smooth. And so where do people find actually um, most of your beers? You, you mentioned some of the uh, bars and restaurants around town are more open-minded to craft beers now. That's right. Um, are, you, are you trying to um, set up distribution where you sell most of it directly to the consumer or are you going uh, through the restaurants and bars? We are going uh, at this point directly through the restaurant and uh, through the restaurant and bars. Uh, we are at a bar called the Roundhouse in Soho, which is Hong Kong's first tap room with 25 beers on tap. Um, you know, we are at uh, a place called Beef and Liberty around the corner here. What about the Globe? Uh, we are hoping to be there soon. We are in discussions with them. Yeah, I met you a while back when the Craft Brew Association was set up in, in Hong Kong. And, uh, and it was there, actually. How, how is that going? And also, if you could just say a couple of words about what Beertopia will mean to uh, Young Master Ales. Absolutely. So the Craft Beer Association was started to protect and promote the cause of craft beer in Hong Kong. Uh, it comprises uh, importers, bar owners, 
breweries like ourselves, homebrew associations, and related vendors. So I think what's great about the association uh, is that every single piece that needs to be working together to you know develop a good craft beer scene is all in place in Hong Kong today. Uh, there have been pieces that have been partly there in the past, but now everything is firing all cylinders. Um, and uh, you know, uh, along similar lines as Beatopia, Beatopia is great for us because it'll be sort of our real sort of big public launch. Um, and you know, by that time, we would have a number of batches and different styles of beer under our belt, and we'd be at, distributed at many places. All right. Well, it sounds good, Roy. It's uh, out yeah. of time now, but uh, interesting progress. Uh, I'd like to see how things go in the next six months to a year. So hopefully we'll talk again. Yeah, that's Rohit Dugar. He's the founder of Young Master Ales, and that's the program for this day. Weather today, fine and dry, cool in the morning, maximum temperature about 21, fine conditions for the next few days, and mild over the Lunar New Year holidays. The news with Samantha Butler. White House officials have been giving details of the agenda President Obama will outline in his sixth State of the Union address. Mr. Obama will announce a wage increase for federal contract workers and appeal for an increase in the minimum wage. Here's Radio Australia's Lisa Miller in Washington. President Obama plans to act unilaterally, refusing to wait for agreement from Congress to raise the minimum wage for employees of federal contractors from $7.25 an hour to a little over $10. It's the first plank in President Obama's promise to make 2014 his year of action after being dogged by gridlock on Capitol Hill for the past year. He'll use his speech to urge Congress to raise the minimum wage for the wider community. The White House